In late February of 1957, in the Fox Chase section of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the body of a young boy was found in a box in the woods off Susquehanna Road. Who was this boy? What happened to him? And why was he left in a box? Let's talk about it and get so scared. Sad theme music now. to the so scared podcast um i just want to throw it out there as you might notice from the little opening talk this is a true crime episode we talk about a, a boy who died uh if that's not something you want to hear about um this is your warning right now um also i just want to talk about as i did last time Oh, wait. Oh, I forgot to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Colin. Mimi and Cannon. Colin, hi. And I'm joined by... Caitlin. Also, I wanted to say sorry about this coming out a day late. Um, I was going to try to get it out on Monday, but that was our anniversary. And so we didn't record and post on our anniversary. Uh, so you're getting it the day after. Woo. Uh, but yeah, I was going to say, uh, I just wanted to talk about the whole sharing our podcast thing. Uh, if you want to support us... Share the podcast, tell your friends, tell people on social media, just tell people about us. Uh, that's the best way to support us. Also, I was going to say just at the beginning of this that I am not an expert. I'm not a good researcher. I'm just doing this. So if I get anything wrong, uh, email. my The email for the podcast is in the description. Just email me and be like, hey, you got this wrong. And I'll look into it and I'll correct it later. We always start. What are your first feelings, honey? I don't want to hear it. <laughs> um, especially true crimes about like children. Most of the time, um, those really get me. Not to say that I'm a psychopath, and no, every true crime like doesn't affect me unless it's about kids. They all really sad and depressing. Some of them affect me more than others. Yeah, especially ones with, like, kids. Yeah. Because it's like, why? They're just a child. What did they do? Like... Yeah, why? Like, why did this happen to them? Yeah, I told Caitlin beforehand, leading up to this, as I was researching, like, hey, uh, the one I'm researching is a little bit more dark and gruesome than, like, what we've talked about before on the podcast. Um, hope you're ready for that. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah... Maybe this wasn't the best first true crime episode I should have I could have picked, but it's it was one that I thought was interesting, and I feel like it's a good one to get out there. Uh, more coverage means more chances that somebody will hear about it that knows something, and we can figure out you know who he was, who he is, and like possibly figure out what happened. So I think it's somewhat important to keep talking about it make sure it's not forgotten but let's get into it 
Uh, we're going to start off with a young man named John Stashowiak. I'm going to just say right now, there's a lot of names in this that I am going to have troubles pronouncing. And this is one of them, Stashowiak. Stashowiak. He was out in Philadelphia checking his muskrat traps. And he was the first man to discover the body. But he was afraid the police would confiscate his traps if he reported it. So he didn't report the body to the police. He just left it there. A few days later, a man named Frank Guthrum, a college student, saw a rabbit nearby running into the underbrush as he was driving by. And he knew there were animal traps in the area. So he stopped his car and got out to investigate and he also discovered the body in the woods. Uh, he also, just like John, didn't want to have to contact the police. And what? so he didn't. Yeah, I don't but know. He didn't even have a reason? I didn't really find a reason. I don't know what is up with these guys not. Like, it's a body you're finding. And you're just not going to tell the police? A whole ass human. Like. Yeah. Like, come on. It's not like you saw, like an animal or something like it's yeah it's a person but the next day frank heard about the disappearance of mary jane barker that had happened like that day like the next day after he found the body that day mary jane barker went missing and after hearing about her he was decided to report it now, I just want to throw out about Mary Jane Barker. She was a four-year-old who was in Belmar, New Jersey. She went missing on February 25th, 1957. Uh, her body was found in the closet of a vacant house nearby where she lived on March 3rd. And her death was just ruled an accident. They believe that she just... She was out with her dog. She got stuck in the closet with her dog. And that she died from starvation while in there. What? But, yeah. That case, I might... We can maybe talk about that one. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to say something even if we talk about it later. How? Yeah. You they, can't just be like, I forgot about her. Like, hello? From what I saw, it's like there was a big... Like, people did a lot of searching. Like, she went missing on February 25th. And, like, they started searching for her. Um, But they think that she just got stuck in the closet. Like, she couldn't open it from inside. Somehow... But her parents didn't hear her screaming. That's the part that I was going to look into more because people said they searched that vacant house. They just never looked at that one closet. And so that's like if she was in that closet the whole time, that means she was in there when people were searching the vacant house. And people were like just assuming that she... She went to an entirely different house? Yeah, it was a vacant house nearby. It wasn't her house. How did they... She just wandered off and the parents were like, okay, fine. Yeah, that's why we, I might look I was never allowed my parents could see me through one of the windows at my house. There was no way you would just let your four-year-old walk off that far into an empty house. Yeah. And die. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one I might look into more. Like, they, because, like, they searched it, and so she was, if what they say is true, like, she was in that closet while people searched the house and just didn't search that closet. And so they, I guess, like, they said they just assumed that she was too scared or like nervous to call out for them but if she was starving and was stuck in there with her dog she would at least have been crying yeah and then also the fact that when she was found on march 3rd 
when they opened the door, the dog was out. So somehow with it between March 25th and March, th February 25th and March 3rd, she died, but her dog didn't. And they did studies and it's like, oh, it's like possible the dog could survive that long without food or water. But like, I still find that kind of odd. But that's not the case we're talking about. That's just because of her disappearance, Frank heard about it because there's a lot of press around her disappearance. Frank heard about it on the car, his car radio. And I can only assume that like he must have heard about it and heard how upset and how worried her family was about her disappearance and must have like related it somewhat to this boy and been like, oh, like his family is probably also really worried not knowing where he is. It took you this long to think yeah, about like, that? Should've... Like you should have thought about that when you saw his body. Yeah. Like, and so he did report it the day after finding the body. So yeah, it, he should have been, the body should have been reported a lot sooner. Like when the first guy found him, but it wasn't until then. Now, the boy, they believe he is somewhere like four to six years old. His cause of death was blunt force trauma, and he was found inside a cardboard box. This will be kind of important later, but the cardboard box is the type that, like, the bassinets sold by J.C. Penney would have been in. So, like, if you bought a bassinet from J.C. Penney, um, his body was battered. He had clumps of hair clinging to his body, so they believe that his hair had been cut recently, even after death, possibly. And he had signs of malnourishment, and he had surgical scars on parts of his area, and an L-shaped scar under his chin. So, after receiving the reports of... In parts of his area, babe? In parts of his area? Mm -hmm. Scars, surgical scars, in parts of his area. That doesn't make sense. Oh, in in areas like okay. on his ankle. And I was like, like, in what? What? <laughs> there were surgical scars on his ankles and his growing area, and then he had an L-shaped scar under his chin. Okay. Yeah. After receiving the report, the police opened an investigation on February twenty-sixth. They took fingerprints. They were hoping, you know, they'd be able to figure out his identity. But no one ever came forward with useful information. The there was Why massive. Why did they take his fingerprints? Why they wouldn't have a four-year-old's fingerprints? Yeah. Wait, how old is he? He was four to six. Four, so okay. a four to six-year-old's fingerprints. Why would? Just I in I don't know. Just in case. There's no way any like four-year-old stole a candy bar. Oh, we got got his fingerprints. Like, yeah. why would his fingerprints be? I mean, this was 1957. As far as I know, back then, like the wouldn't it have been best to check his dental records? Maybe, but like in 1957, as far as what I know from true crime stuff, is like in that time period, the best they had for any kind of like DNA or any kind of like looking people up was fingerprints. Like that's. That's four. the best chance they have. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like they're not going to have, like, all oh, criminal records. The best thing would like, have been, like, can you check for fingerprints on his clothing or, like, the box? He didn't or... have any. I didn't explain oh, on that on his yet. body yeah. then? Like, oh, unless you washed him? Yeah, I skipped over that part. He didn't have any clothing on him. Inside the box, he was just wrapped in a plaid blanket. But yeah, uh, there was massive media coverage in like the Philadelphia area. 
the Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers showing the boy's likeness. They sent it out and... Wait, they showed pictures of him dead? I think with it saying like it showed his likeness, I think it may have just been like, you know, drawings without... Okay. Okay. Not pictures of them, but like just. I was gonna say, jeez. Yeah, it's like horrible. that would that'd be something. I would. But yeah, want. they just like did one of those like they've just been missing for this things. long. This is what yeah. they would look like now, kind yeah. of things. And so this was sent out like immediately. Four hundred thousand flyers uh, sent out and posted in the area, and they included a flyer with every gas bill in Philadelphia. So like they got this out to like everybody in Philadelphia. Um, also 270 police academy recruits combed the crime scene, and in the area they found a blue corduroy hat, a child's scarf, and a white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. The police also released a picture of the boy fully dressed, like the police dressed him and set him in a chair to make it, like, show how he might look alive, and they took pictures of that hoping that somebody might recognize him and like that is horrible yeah i don't why i wouldn't wish that job on anybody yeah it's like i wouldn't want to do that that is horrible that i hope that person goes to therapy like every day yeah and it's like all of this was done like 1957 like right a really tough thing to have to do like being um a mortician um that that's not fun either, but especially if you are doing it for a child, and then you're taking pictures of them. Like, yeah. the morticians dress the people in, like, a last respect, and then they just kind of, like, leave. <laughs> like, they don't, like, take, set them up and take pictures and stuff. Yeah, like, it's like, that's... Oh, frick. Not a job that I would want to do. No. Like, it really doesn't seem great. That seems so terrible. Now, yeah. On March 21st, and we're jumping forward a bit, in 2016, not much information came out until then, but the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children did a forensic facial reconstruction of the boy. So they reconstructed what he would have looked like, and they released that and added him to their database online to try to, you know, get it out there more. And then in August of 2018, a genetic genealogist, Barbara Ray Venter, she had before this helped identify the Golden State Killer by using DNA profiling techniques. So she has knowledge in helping true, like, like uh, mm-hmm. investigators. And she said she was using the same method to try and identify the boy in the box as well. And... Also, amateur groups said that they were trying to figure out his identity using online databases like the Doe Network and WebSleuths. As far as I know, I didn't see any, like, information come out from any of those. I Um, mean, because people were, I mean, even nowadays that the internet's more like a thing. People don't really like to post pictures of their children for, um, reasons. Yeah. (laughs) That I'm sure you can all figure out. Um... So, it's like, even if anybody, even if the internet was a thing back then, like, there wouldn't have been anything, really, to be like, oh, I know him. Except for maybe, like, well, he was, I don't know when you go into kindergarten, but that's what I was thinking, like, maybe, like, a class photo, like, a yearbook or something. Yeah. 
Because I had something like that in kindergarten. Yeah. But it's like the issue is like any picture of him beforehand is like his hair was cut either just before death or right after it. And so it's like maybe, I don't know, maybe a haircut might make him not as recognizable. I did see... Not to his family. Yeah. I don't Or, like, why... I'm so confused. Yeah. It's just, like, how... And we'll get into some of the reasons why maybe a family member might have not come through in the theories part coming up, but... Yeah. And just to give, you know, an idea, like, people are still, like, researching, like, investigating this. There's a society of, like, retired cops and, like, profilers called the... it's a French name. It's named after a French investigator. Vidoc? Vidoc? It's V-I-D-O-C-Q. I don't know why the French spell stuff like this. <laughs> but Vidoc, uh, it's a society, and they were still, like, in 2020, hopeful that they were going to be able to figure out his identity soon. And then even just, like, this year, there was an article from the Philadelphia like police talking about how... Two years ago, they exhumed his body to get some DNA. They sent it to Europe, and that they are still hopeful that even this year that they will be able to figure out who he is. They're hoping that possibly, I mean, it was only 1957. They're hoping that possibly, like, they can still find, like, family members or witnesses who are still alive, or possibly even if they figure out what happened, that they're still hopeful this year that they can if the person who did it is still alive, they can, like, find out who it was. So it's like, they're still investigating it. And who knows, like, maybe sometime in the near future, they might figure something out, and we can do an update episode talking about whatever they figure out. But it's like, they're still looking into it. Do they just have a morgue where they just keep missing children's bodies? Um, they actually, uh, I do have information on his burial Originally, in 1957, he was just buried in a potter's field, which, as if you don't know, a potter's field is essentially where unknown people or poor people that didn't have anybody, like, any family, they were buried in a potter's field, which is just, you know, it's just where... Do they get at least a headstone, like a number or something? Yeah, like, they get a little something, but it's not, sometimes it's not a lot. And in 1998, his body was exhumed to get DNA then as well. And then he was reburied in Ivy Hill Cemetery. They donated him a plot to have him buried in their cemetery. And a coffin, headstone, and funeral services were all donated by the son of the man who had buried the boy originally. And when they gave him this, like, new funeral... There was a lot of public attendance, a lot of media coverage, and his headstone reads, America's Unknown Child, and residents of the city still keep his grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals. So they re-buried him after they took him out, right? Yeah, after they took him out of the potter's field, the Ivy Hill Cemetery donated a plot. This poor kid, let him be. I know that he probably wants his then you guys to find out too, but he's also probably just like at this point, just let me have an afterlife. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about some theories now. Now there were a bunch of theories. Obviously, with like a case like this, there is a ton of people calling in. Not calling, but 
Well, I guess maybe. Did they have phones in 1957? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but a lot of tips and theories were sent in, and there are two main ones that seem to have more credibility, kind of. Uh, and the first one is the foster home theory. This first one is related to a foster home that was about one and a half miles from where the body was found. In 1960, Remington Bristow, who was an employee at the medical examiner's office, uh, what, he investigated this case like all the way up until he died in 1997. But in 1960, he contacted a psychic from New Jersey, and the psychic told him to look for a house and gave him a description, and this matched the foster home that was one and a half miles from where the body was found. And then they brought the psychic and brought her to Philadelphia. And she went to where the body was found. And she led Bristow right to this foster home. And at this foster home, there was an estate sale. So Bristow went to the estate sale. And while he was there, he found a bassinet that was similar to the one sold at J.C. Penney. Which, as I said, he was found in a box that would have had a JCPenney bassinet in it. And he also found on he found blankets on a clothesline that were similar to the one that was wrapped around the boy. So, Bristow believed that the boy had been the son of the stepdaughter of the man that ran this foster home. And he theorized that the boy's death was an accident and they disposed of the boy's body so that the stepdaughter wouldn't be exposed as an unwed mother. Which, my part is, I have doubts of that because, for one, if he was the son of the stepdaughter and he was four to six, year old, six years old when he passed away, that means, I mean, they would have had him in their foster home for, like, four to six years... So did they just, like, not tell him that the stepdaughter was his mom and just had him there? And it's like, if that's the case, when he passed away, they didn't need to just dispose of the body like this. They could have just called the cops and been like, hey, like, an accident occurred and this boy died in my foster home. Like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't believe that it was an accident. Yeah, me neither. Like, there's, it's, if it's an, it was an accident, it's more important to you that she doesn't be out as an unwed mother than to properly bury your step stepdaughter's son grandchild yeah. i don't know how you'd say that what and it's like it's not even like if she probably wouldn't have been exposed as an unwed mother because if they had him in the foster home they could have just been like oh it's like it's a foster kid like he's not our kid hey the foster child looks a lot like that girl standing next to you i guess yeah uh what was the accident so, oh yeah, it wasn't an accident. You freaking murdered him or something. Yeah, and it's like he had signs of malnourishment. Like there's no way that he accidentally died. I feel like they weren't like whoever, wherever this boy was, he wasn't. Unless they just care didn't of. feed their all of the orphans enough. Yeah. So despite all of that, with the psychic and everything, and all that, like the bassinet and everything, the police never found any definite links between the boy and the foster home. And then in 1998, a police lieutenant, Tom Augustine, 
who was in charge of the investigation, and also members of the Vidok Society interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter, and they didn't find anything. And the investigation into the foster home was closed then. So that was that's like one of the theories. Like there's a bit of information to it. There's some stuff that's like maybe it's them. And um, well, this might be one of your theories, but maybe one of the the killer was like there's a um, orphanage over there. I'm just gonna take a box and a blanket from them and just leave them here and pin it all on them. That's true. The, all of that stuff could have just been like a box. Like they probably would have thrown it away. He. It's the blankets were on the clothesline, so I mean, like, mm-hmm. anybody could have grabbed the box and a blanket. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, this next one, I personally feel like there's more meat to it. And it's the woman known as Martha, or she's also known as M. And so this theory, like, this idea was brought forward by a woman who was only known as Martha in February of 2002. The police considered her story and but there was like they they were troubled due to her history of mental illness so like she brought this story forward and it's like hey it's a possible story but it's like due to her history of mental illness they're kind of like "Eh." yeah it's dumb but m claimed the boy had been purchased from his birth parents by her abusive mother in the summer of 1954 and his name was jonathan she says he was subjected to uh, all kinds of abuse for two and a half years, and then one evening he vomited his dinner of baked beans and was beaten by the mother, and his head was slammed against the floor until he was, like, semi-conscious. Afterwards, she says he was given a bath, and he died during the bath. Which is interesting, because some of these details, like, they match some stuff that only the police knew. Like, the coroner had found baked beans in the boy's stomach. This wasn't, like, public stuff. Like, this was, like, only the police knew that there was baked beans. So it's, like, kind of odd that such a minor detail matches up in her story. Then also, the coroner found that his fingers were wrinkled from water. Which also matches up with her story of him having been given a bath when he died. Um, you mean before he died? Well, he he died during the bath. Well, yeah. Yeah, but he was he died because of what happened before the bath. Um, M's mother then cut his long hair to conceal his hair his identity, which matches up with the haircut stuff. And then M was forced to help dump the body by her mother. Um, as they were preparing to, like, move the body from the trunk, she said a man driving by pulled up and offered to help them, like, to see if they needed help with whatever they were doing, because he just saw them messing with the trunk. Um, the mother had M stand in front of their license plate plate to block it, and she convinced him that everything was okay, and eventually the dude just, like, drove off and this little bit also goes along because if they just had him in the trunk that means they didn't bring the box and there was a confidential testimony where do i have it in my notes uh confidential testimony from a male witness in 1957 who said that the box had been discarded there previously and so that 
leads them to believe that if this is true, what this dude says, that whoever did this just put the body into the box, which this kind of goes with that. And despite all of this information only known by the police and the story being plausible, the police couldn't verify any of it. And according to the neighbors who at the time of when, according to M, the boy would have been living there, the neighbors had access to their house like all the time. The neighbors denied that a boy ever lived there and they called her story ridiculous. Which just makes well, me... just makes me think, like, the mom went over to them and was like, don't fucking tell anybody about this or I'll hurt you too. Like, yeah, or, like, they were in on it, like, a yeah. part of it. Like, yeah, it's like... Sorry, if you are hear saying, any loud noises, those are cats. Yeah, our cats are doing everything They're hyper. Right now. <laughs> so, yeah. That one, I feel like that one is the most credible theory, but I feel that due to these neighbors who maybe in on it and then also the police being like oh she has a history of mental illness that okay, is just like but like is she depressed because her mother is abusive and that's the mental illness or is it more like because if she's just depressed that doesn't mean that she makes up things yeah it doesn't make her unreliable like what kind of mental illness did you just because that doesn't mean she's crazy it just means she's has issues with her mental health yeah doesn't necessarily mean that she would have made up a story like that. Yeah. Did you even check to see if her mother was abusive? Because if she was, then, like, hello? Then, like, yeah. Like, obviously there's something a little bit more going on. But they didn't figure anything out from that. There's a couple other theories that are, like, eh, But I'll still talk about them. There's one that... For uh, Frank Bender, who was a forensic artist, he had the theory that the victim had been raised as a girl, and this was mostly based on the hasty haircut, believing that it was like, you know, they had long hair, and then whoever did this cut the hair real quick. And then also that the eyebrows appeared to have been styled, which... I mean, yeah, I guess boys didn't style their eyebrows in 1957, but also, like, that's not a lot to really base this on. But in 2008, he released a drawing of the victim with long hair just to be like, hey, just in case this is true, here's, like, a drawing with long hair for people to look at. And then the other one is that two writers, Jim Hoffman from Los Angeles and Luis Romano from New Jersey, they had came out saying that they had a possible identity from Memphis, Tennessee, and they requested DNA be compared between the family they found and the child, which this whole idea was initially found by a Philadelphia man, and Hoffman helped him like come up with and present this theory to Philadelphia p- police and the Vidoke Society in early 2013. Romano found out in December of 2013 about, like, their theory and agreed to help these two men get DNA from a specific member of this family in January of 2014. After they got the DNA from the family member, they sent it to Philadelphia police who said they would investigate the lead. Before comparing DNA, they said they were going to look into connections with the family. And then in December of 2017... Homicide to Sergeant 
confirmed that they compared the DNA and that there was no connection. So, that one, that theory kind of died out, but I don't know. With any of this, I'm always just a little doubtful of like, the sergeant said it, but did they actually compare it? I don't know. But according to him, which he was the same sergeant that I saw, he is still, in the article from 2021, he is still a sergeant, like, with them, and he's still, like, he's hopeful of finding stuff. I believe he said that he was 10 when the boy was found, and, like, it's been a case that's stuck with him since then. And so it's like he's still looking into it. So that is the case of the boy in the box who is also known as America's Unknown Child from 1957. Yeah. Uh, what are your closing thoughts, honey? Um, I don't know. The first one seems like he could, it could have just been somebody random who just like decided to do it I don't know and then tried to pin it on the orphanage by being like I'm gonna take a box and a blanket and maybe um but the second one also makes sense but like why I don't understand she purchased a child yeah that part yeah it's it's that she purchased a child from the birth parents why I don't know why would they sell their kid yeah I don't Is know. that a common thing? They were poor and couldn't take care of them, so they were like, here, give you some money for your child? What? I don't think it is, as far as I know, but, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I will say that, like also, I said... Also, if she was just going to abuse him and treat him like shit, and it was, he was malnourished, so she couldn't afford to feed him, obviously, why would they go through the trouble of purchasing the or child? Maybe she just didn't care to feed him. Maybe they had the money. I don't know. Maybe she wanted somebody to abuse that wasn't her birth child i don't know it's like that one i feel feels the most like possible because of all of the information that was only known by the police that she had in her story but yeah i don't know So, yeah, I feel like that's the one that I lean towards the most. And I'm sure there's probably more information and more theories out there that I just didn't find because I'm not a great researcher and I probably missed some stuff. But, yeah. Uh, Maybe next week I'll research something a little bit more fun to, like, you know not be like this again mm-hmm. but yeah so hopefully like i said hopefully they'll figure out something in the near future and we'll know more but i really hate true crimes that are um not solved yeah the the not solved ones are the real because it's like you mm. do not get to get away with it yeah like they should like ex- like any murder, they don't deserve it, but especially with this one and it being, like, a young boy, it's like, you really don't deserve to get away with this, like... 
Because sometimes you the, need to be caught. The killer has a reason, but they're like, "Oh, they were a bitch to me because like they didn't sleep with me, and so I killed them." And it's like, "All right, whatever." But this was a child. Like there was nothing they could have done that would have been a reason. Like, <sighs> yeah, there's nothing he could have done to deserve it in any way. Not that any victim ever deserves it. I mean, like if there were like, like the one where the woman killed her rapist, like. He deserved it. But, like, no, like, he's, he really, it just really shouldn't have happened. But. And we're not saying that any murder should happen. Yeah, it's no, just, nothing, yeah. none of them should ever happen. Like, it should, nothing. You can get angry at a person and not result in murder, but. Yeah. But. Come back next two weeks. We'll be back to doing it on Monday again. Uh, share this if I got anything wrong or there's something more you want to tell us like email is in the description you can follow the social media for the podcast in the description both of our personal stuff is in the description if you want to look into that Uh, but yeah tell your friends about us and tell them that we're not always talking about this depressing of stuff Uh, goodbye everybody Goodbye. See ya.